From ThatCast Creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the PDX Executive Podcast. It's sunny today, and that means spring is near, which for me and my family means a lot of baseball and also going to uh, our favorite uh, team here, the Hop. So I'm very excited to have Kale Wambacher, the president and general manager for the Hillsboro Hops on the show. Hey, Kale. Yes. Hi. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, you bet. So I think, you know, as I mentioned to you before we start recording, we'd love just to learn about your kind of background. Like how does one become a president of a baseball club? Well, you uh, you got to work in baseball long enough where everyone else quits, and then you're kind of the last man standing. I think. Um, no, I started I started back in 2001 uh, as an intern in Yakima, Washington. I went to sc- went to college nearby, about 30 miles north, in, in Ellensburg, Washington, and you know grew up a sports fan: basketball, baseball, football. I uh, played a lot of sports as a kid. Um, you know, tried to play college basketball and then um, realized I wasn't as good as I thought I was. And so uh, my NBA career was cut short at uh, the age of 18 at a D3 school. So had to figure out something else to, to do with my life and, you know, just tried to follow sports. So at, at first I looked into coaching and, you know, just wasn't quite the right path. Got introduced to sports management and felt, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know at the time you could work in sports and they'd pay mm-hmm. you and work mm-hmm. in like professional sports. And so I kind of followed that path as in sport management, was lucky enough to get an internship in, in 2001 with then the Yakima Bears and just fell in love with it from day one, you know, going to the ballpark every day, uh, seeing smiles on people's faces and, and know that, knowing that you were responsible, somewhat responsible for putting those smiles on people's faces. Uh, it had nothing to do with the wins and losses. And I think that's what has kept me in minor league baseball so long versus other sports is most fans don't know who the players are. They don't know what the record is. Um, you ask them a week later and they couldn't tell you to score. Um, and I think that's just so awesome about our industry. You know, people, they just want to have a good time and, and want to yeah. spend time with their friends and family and cheer on the home team and and eventually watch these guys get to the big leagues and, and say they saw him in Hillsborough, they saw him in Yakima back in the day. So, um, it, it was really a, a love affair from, from the first day. And, and now however many seasons it's been 23 seasons later, wow. I think I, I love it just as much as I did on day one. And there's some, I mean, to drill down that a little bit about, uh, minor league baseball, there is something special about the experience and especially around, you know, bringing your family there and, to your point, I mean, I bring my son, he gets, he, we get there early, get the, you know, the autographs. He doesn't know who the players are, mm-hmm. but it's just still as excited as if it was a major league club. So let's talk a little bit about the history of the hops. So they were the Yakima team that moved here. Is that correct? Yep. <clears throat> yeah. So I, I became GM in 2005, you know, for the late 2000s or you know, kind of between 2000 seven, eight and 2012, um, the goal was to, to try to build a ballpark in Yakima. We were in a facility that was aging. Um, it was kind of a glorified high school facility on the county fairgrounds. 
you know, it's just, it was a tough market for us. We, we lost money every single year as a business. Um, our owners bought the team in 99 and never turned a profit in, in Yakima. Mm. And, you know, towards the, <clears throat> excuse me, towards the end of that time frame is when the Portland Beavers left Portland. <clears throat> so it opened up the market, uh, the territory and the Northwest League at the time with eight teams, Portland was positioned perfectly for travel and and everything else. And obviously it's a much bigger market than Yakima. So, so we quickly turned our attention to, to the market and we knew that, uh, eventually our owners were going to run out of their life savings, uh, funding the team in Yakima. So we had to do something to keep it viable. And so we spent, you know, almost a year and a half, two years throughout the Portland Metro. We spent a lot of time in Vancouver, Washington, actually, mm. uh, Beaverton, Milwaukee, I mean, any city that would take a meeting, we, we were coming over to meet with Portland. Um, and we, we got turned on to Hillsborough and the, the mayor and city council, the president of Hillsborough chamber, you know, they were just over the moon about, hey, we want to be the city that brings pro baseball back to the Portland Metro. And mm. like, we couldn't believe it. You know, most cities you're having to try to talk into helping build a stadium. And, and, and this city's like, no, we, we want to be the city. We want the team here. We want professional baseball here. Um, and we love that ambition. We love the vision of the city. We, the more time we spend in Hillsborough, we just realized like, this is a, this is a sleeping giant. I mean, th this city is incredible from, from its parks and recreation to the business community here, uh, the community pride they have with, you know, the community festivals and everything else. Like we instantly uh, fell in love with Hillsborough. <clears throat> and then we saw the stadium site right off the freeway, easy access, plenty of parking. Uh, we saw how well the city takes care of their facilities, their fields. And so it was a, it was a pretty easy decision. And then how quickly we were able to move uh, to agree on a lease and, you know, financing terms and, and everything else. You know, our, our first, I think we, we signed... We, we started meeting with them a little bit in the fall, but really uh, December of 2011, I think it was. Okay. Um, and within six months, we had a signed lease. I mean, it was, wow. it was crazy how we, how we were able to just agree on everything so quickly. And then we broke around in September and we were playing the next season. So, wow. you know, and this was a tough time. This was in, in 2010 to 2012 when we're coming out of that economic crash. So mm -hmm. a lot of cities were cutting budgets. And I mean, even the city of Vancouver, when we talked to them, they're like, Hey, we, we'd love to do this. We'd love to build a ballpark, but I can't cut a hundred city employees and then build yeah. a ballpark. And so, yeah. you know, fortunately for us, the city of Hillsborough was in much better financial health than a lot of other cities in the Metro. And so they were able to pull this off pretty quickly. So it's been, yeah, whatever that, you know, 12, 13 years, uh, let's break down the business a little bit, what you can share as far as, you know, looking at the team as a business, the health of it, and then the kind of different revenue, obviously you have tickets and partnerships. How, how was, I guess, from the partnership side, how has that been with local businesses? And I mean, pretty receptive, always strong. Yeah. I feel like you've had a lot of sponsors that have been with the team for a while. Yeah. I'm just curious what you can share about the health of the business and how it is. And, uh, yeah. Um, the health of the business is extremely strong right now. Um, I mean, we have, we have a number of partners that have been with us from day one, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. And I mean, 
every week we're having meetings with with new potential partners. Um, sponsorships is a is a pretty good size of the business. It's probably about one sixth, okay. uh, one seventh ish of the business. Um, tickets is definitely the tickets and food and beverage are, are mm-hmm. the biggest um, components of our business revenue streams. Tickets definitely. Um, where food and beverage is going to have a pretty high, uh, or excuse me, uh, pretty high expense. So a very low margin relative yeah. to tickets. So um, tickets is the lifeblood of our, of our organization. That's where we put 90% of our effort. But the more tickets we sell, the more sponsorships we sell because we yeah. get more people in the ballpark and the better we do with, with uh, broadcast and, and everything else. So, and ticket sales have been, have been extremely strong. Since day one, you know, moving when we moved from a, a short season to a full season in 2020, I mean, 2020 was really kind of the, the test of our business viability with losing a season to COVID yeah. and then having Major League Baseball create a new development system that, that we were fortunate enough to become a part of with minor league baseball kind of going away. Minor league baseball is, a, is an entity going away. Yeah. That was, that was, that was a big test for us because we had a ton of fans that loved that 38 game season, mid June to early September. And, you know, our season ticket base was extremely strong. We had a lot of season ticket holders that were with us from day one. And we were very heavy on like a residential type season ticket versus a corporate season ticket, Mm. 70, 30, uh, which is about the opposite for industry standards, normally it's 70% corporate, 30% individual. So that's, this has been our biggest challenge lately is because we went from 38 games to 66 home games, the amount of time people have to invest in that season ticket plan is just, I mean, it's twice as much basically. So we're seeing a, a pretty significant shift the last couple of years with, um, being, we need to shift to more of a corporate structure on season tickets because, you know, business buys six, 66 games worth, the more games, the better. That's just yeah. more enter- entertainment they have for employees or customers yeah. or, or something like that, where an individual, you know, that's just twice as much um, time yeah. as, that they're spending or twice as much of an investment. So we have, we have noticed the shift, but we, we got pretty flexible when it came to creating quarter season plans or half season plans. So people could keep their seats, keep their season tickets uh, with less of a time commitment. And, and that's worked out to be, to be um, really good. And then the other big components, um, I mean, we really have four, four pillars. So we've got our tickets, we've got our sponsorships, we've got our food and beverage revenue, and then merchandise is the last one. Mm, and, mm-hmm. you know, in Yakima, merchandise was not a big revenue source for us. Um, and then we moved to Hillsborough and opening day in 2013, we did more on opening day than we had ever done in a calendar year in Yakima. For no way. And so that was a pretty big aha moment of like, wow, I guess retail can be a business yeah. <laughs> for a sports team. Uh, when you have a brand and, and logo and everything that, you know, that people want to buy and wear and and so ever since then, that day, um, you know, we've, we've really focused a lot on our retail as a retail business, as a retail operation, and it's done extremely well. Uh, within the mm. first 12 months, we shipped hats to all 50 states. We've shipped to many different countries. Um, our online business is one of the strongest in all of minor league baseball. Wow. And um, to this day, like our retail program just continues to get better and better every year. So uh, we're excited about that for the future. 
I didn't, I mean, the retail side, I didn't think about that, but I mean, every time I go to the game, if we're dropping money on stuff for my kids uh, there, but I do see, you know, hop stuff a lot out in the community just locally. And then from the food and beverage side, I'm, you know, I know it sounds like it's a little, the margins are a little more compressed, but I obviously going to the games, we do appreciate that it is still affordable for families. Mm -hmm. And do you take the same, I can't remember, uh, but you do allow some outside vendors in kind of like the Blazers do Mm -hmm. some local folks. And we do. Yeah. We are, are, we have a a food and beverage guy now, Tony Hendricks, who, who's got, I don't know how many decades in the business, 30 plus, 30 plus years in the business. He, he ran the Moda center for a while. Uh, he was a senior VP, regional VP for Spectre Food Services, which was an outside company that we used to use. And after the pandemic, uh, Tony's from Sherwood. I called him up and said, hey, Tony, why don't you come run our stuff for us? And, and so we can be more of a self-operation rather than an outside vendor like most sports stadiums have. Yeah. We can control pricing a lot better. We can control service a lot better. And then we can control what comes in and out of the building. And so for us, the RSI vendor program, we've tried to use it more as kind of an incubator program. So we try to find smaller type businesses, whether it's a food cart or something like that, and kind of give them some space where they can really grow their business. And so we have a, a group called Wabi Tacos, which has been with us for a few years, you know, and they've really kind of grown their brand and business, uh, do a great job from a, from a food quality standpoint. So it's been fun to try to incorporate some of those type of, of vendors or, you know, Zenner Sausages, which is our official hot mm-hmm. dog. You know, they're a Portland staple. They've been in Portland for a long time. Some people are familiar with the brand. Um, some we always introduce to the brand, but, you know, having a local hot dog provider, especially for a baseball team, right. um, <laughs> is, is such a, it's such a great, great connection. Uh, we just did a deal with a meeting place this year that we'll be launching. It's a kind of a meat shop out here in Hillsborough that's become kind of a cult following. And they've got a little cafe out here and they are busy all the time now. They've they've really built this business up. And so wow. we're going to do a specialty burger with them this year that that they'll provide the, the beef for. Uh, it's kind of like a bacon beef mix. It'll be delicious. Um, you know, so we're excited to incorporate that in as well. But we, we know like the more local connections we have, it just builds more affinity with our fans. And our goal and vision has always been, we want to be the best outdoor restaurant in the Portland Metro. Hmm. So food and beverage is such a massive part of the experience going to a ballpark these days. And so we leaned into this years ago when it came to fresh products, good products. You know, Hmm. we want to keep our prices as low as possible, but quality is more important than quality and speed. So we, mm-hmm. we give up a little bit on speed of service at times, um, for a higher quality product. And, you know, that's always that balance in a sports stadium that you, you try to thread the needle on, but, yeah. um, you know, sometimes we get a little, little negative feedback that it might take a little extra long for the, for the, for the burger, but it's like, Hey, this is, this is fresh ground beef. It's a smash right. burger. It's a really good product. Our sauces are made in house. Um, you know, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer, but the product is going to be worth it. So that's been our goal. And to your point, I mean, something about, I know when the Blazers started doing this too, is it only increases engagement from the community because you have that community kind of connection there with the the vendor. So I think it's just a great idea. Um, switching to the fan experience a little bit, 
you know, I've always thought you've done a just amazing job, but that is a very special skill that has to keep evolving and you probably have to up your game every year. So, I mean, what's the team like, you know, doing that and how is, um, how you think through the fan experience? Well, it's, it, it's guided by our, by our mission statement, which has, which has to do with first class memories. So we, we try to use that as our filter with, with everything we do. And it's, first class memories for fans, for our players, for our staff and for our community. Mm-hmm. So we, we try to, again, kind of four key pillars there. And so, you know, when we come up, we have a lot of planning sessions and that's probably the best part of working in minor league baseball is just kind of coming up with new ideas and fun mm-hmm. ideas. But all of us here are sports fans. So we all go to games. We all go to different sporting events. Uh, we're always taking notes. And then we have 119 other minor league teams throughout the country that, that are peers of ours that you know, we like to try to steal ideas, ideas from here and there. Um, you know, someone does something in Asheville. Um, our fans here probably aren't going to watch what's going on in Asheville. So right. we can kind of steal one of their ideas and then make it our own. And then they, they think we're geniuses. Um, <laughs> so a lot of it is stealing from other teams. But again, it, it, a lot of it has to do with put yourself in someone's shoes. I have a uh, eighth grader uh, daughter and, you know, she's pretty much grown up at the ballpark. A lot of times I would ask her, Hey, what do you think about this promotion? What do you think about this promotion? You know, what do you think about Disney princesses? Oh, that would be awesome. I'd love to go meet, you know, Moana at the ballpark. And, um, you know, and now you have this special connection from the ballpark that becomes this vivid memory later on in life. So I think, you know, finding ways to kind of create those, we know they're going to be memories later in life. A lot of us have memories as a child going to a sporting event. You know, I grew up in Tacoma, going to Tacoma Tigers games and Tacoma Rainiers mm-hmm. games. And I remember having a conversation with the left fielder when I was, when I was a kid, you know, talking about the glove he used and, and, um, going to the camps that they would do on the field and, you know, chasing down a foul ball in left field that my yeah. friend got and I didn't get, and he taunted me for a week, <laughs> um, like vivid memories from, from my childhood at the ballpark. And so now in an operator role, we know that every single night someone's coming here for the first time ever. It's their first baseball game ever. It's their first hops game ever. Mm-hmm. And so we have a mantra of 66 opening days. You know, we put a lot into opening day and opening day is magical, but we have 65 other opening days after that because it's going to be opening day to somebody. And mm. and the, the, the more we can reiterate that with our team, every day we show up to work, we, we've got to kind of you know, put, put, flip the light switch on and say, all right, here, today's, today's opening day, number 10. So mm-hmm. we're going to have people that come here. This is their first ever baseball experience, first ever hops experience. If we don't bring our A game, uh, we're ruining it for them. And we're, and mm-hmm. we're losing an opportunity to, to capture a fan and build a fan. Um, and I think the last note to that is when we moved the team here in 2013, the one thing that we really talked a lot about is this community already has affinity for sports teams. The people that were here, you know, they, the, the adults that are here in the Hillsboro Metro, Portland Metro, they didn't grow up Hops fans, obviously. The team wasn't here. They grew up a Cubs fan. They grew up a Diamondbacks fan. They grew up a Mariners fan, whatever it was. But their kids are growing up Hops fans. So how do we create a fan base basically, you know, from, from four up <laughs> uh, that these kids grow up Hops fans and then in 30 years from now, they're bringing their kids to the games. And now we have this multi-generational Hops yeah. fans that have grown up um, as Hops fans. So that was that 
kind of play the long game approach that we mm-hmm. took from day one. And what's really cool now after 13 years or 12 years, whatever it's been, is kids that, you know, were maybe in middle school and we moved the team here and they're now in college. Right. And, and they're yeah. now coming back and applying for internships and saying, oh That's my cool. gosh, I grew up as a hops fan and all this, you know, and to us, it's like kind of starting to come true. We still have another 20 years to go before they have, you know, kids and mm-hmm. bringing their kids to the games. But um, it's, it's, it's been a really neat experience to, to be able to look back on where we started and the philosophies we've had and seeing those kind of start to work now after 12 years. I mean, there's so many lessons in that just for business leaders. I mean, I think just in my world, more in the corporate world, ultimately every business is, you know, a client service or customer service business. I don't care what you do. So I, it's, I just love hearing you talk about and through the long game. And I mean, you are unique and you've, you've been there the whole time the team's, you know, uh, moved here. So that's pretty special as well. And then when you look at the employee base, I'm curious, you know, it's kind of like for each game, right? You're kind of, you have to bring in all these people, uh, the kind of seasonal folks. Do you get kind of the same group of people year after year or how's? Um, we have a core group. Um, we, we still have a, a small core group that's been here from day one. Um, not as many as we'd love to see, but um, I would say, I mean, I'm just guessing, but I would say 30 to 40% of our staff is returning and then about 60% is new every year. Okay. And it could be, it could be a little higher on the, on the returning side, but you know, a, a lot of it has to do with, I think uh, the, the, um, we get a lot of school teachers, especially when we were short season, we'd only play in the summer. We'd get a lot mm-hmm. of school people. We'd get, uh, we get some retired people. Uh, we get some empty nesters, uh, that just love being around the game. Um, mm-hmm. and then we get a lot of college kids, a lot of high school kids. And so we kind of pride ourselves on that first job, um, especially for high school kids. And, and the culture we try to build within our game day staff of providing first-class memories, providing outstanding customer service, being outgoing, um, being proactive with, with people's needs. So try to teach them some, some job skills while they're, while they're here. And, and Jen Anderson, who oversees our, our teams, one of our VPs, she does a phenomenal job with training and ongoing training. And I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of teams may miss is mm. they train them at the start of the season. And then they complain half season, mid- midway through the season, because they're not doing their jobs correctly. And where Jen, I mean, she meets with this team, our game day team, every single game. And they go over the, the good and the bad. They go over ways to improve. They go over good stories from fans, um, compliments we've had from fans. And so it kind of keeps that, that momentum building throughout the season. And so you just see the game day staff get better and better and better throughout the season. Um, one of the best compliments we ever got came from Ed Tonkin, who at the time owned 22 car dealerships. So very customer service driven business and his family was in car business forever. And, and, uh, we did, uh, they were our naming rights partner for 10 years. And, and Ed told me one night, he's like, Kale, I just love coming here. It is so friendly. Like hmm. it's better than Disneyland. It is <laughs> every time I come here, people are smiling, they're happy. And it just puts me in a good mood. And, and that was one of the best compliments we could have ever received. One, he has hundreds of employees. So he knows yeah. how hard it is to, to build, you know, a good atmosphere for customers. Um, and two, his personal experience coming here was, was joy. And yeah. at the end of the day, that's what it's about. 
That's why you go mm-hmm. to a sporting event to have fun. Um, and um, so, so I think that's, that's one of the best things we can bring to the community is just joy. I mean, especially coming from him who, who wrote the check too initially, right? Yeah, right. So, <laughs> exactly. That's, well, I mean, now we're, you know, talking about the stadium kind of, uh, I don't know if you want to update folks of people who don't know kind of, um, you know, where that's at or because you, I guess, is it from the league that there's some new requirements, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so if you can just give a little overview and kind of update of where that's out for the club. Yeah, absolutely. I'll try to keep this under three hours. Um, <laughs> so in, in, in 2020, MLB redid the player development system. They used to have a deal with minor league baseball that was contractual agreement for player development. Uh, major league baseball got tired of the way the minor leagues were run and kind of not kept up, so to speak. Mm. So there's 160 teams in minor league baseball. In 2021, we all, they, they created this new system of 120 teams, so four affiliates per major league affiliate. And of the 160, 120 basically got invites to be part of this new system. It's a you know, 100 plus page contract that all the contracts are the same, whether you're AAA or single A. And that's where we went from a short season team to a full season high A team, which is just below double A, because they reclassified everything. And yeah. so there were team, there were actually a team that moved from triple A to single A. So it mm. kind of went both ways, moving up or moving down throughout the system. Um, but it was it was kind of a proposal in a way of like, do you want to be part of this new system or not? And so you could say we had a choice, but you know, the reality is if you didn't take the deal, someone else would. So mm. to keep affiliated baseball, pro baseball here, we had to accept the deal. The biggest part of the deal was facility standards and the facility standards in the minor leagues hadn't been updated since 1990. And that was one of the biggest reasons MLB did this was they had to rip the bandaid off. Um, it, it was, you know, some of the facilities were just like way, way, way behind. There should not have been professional athletes there. Hmm. Uh, so, so they, they, they had to do this. Um, so in, so in 2021, we agreed to it, um, new facility standards, went to the city and said, here's the new deal. And we actually went to them before we signed the contract and they said, okay, we, we can't lose pro baseball in, in Hillsborough. So we'll figure it out. We thought we could renovate, um, and you know, might be 20 million, 40 million, 50 million. We didn't know. So we hired a, a design team and did some, did some concepts and it's like, okay, this, this might work. So then we hired a design build team, Mortensen and, and Populous and spent, I don't know, almost $2 million on design to renovate the stadium. Hmm. Um, and we got to the point at 10% design that because we never had a visiting clubhouse, the amount of, we have, we use a football stadium next door, the amount of space we have to add just for player development requirements was significant and it doesn't fit within the current footprint. So we had to expand the footprint. The only place to expand is out to the parking lot, which we found out is a transmission water line, 66 inch water line running straight through it. So Mm. before we did anything, we'd have to relocate that, which is like, oh my gosh, there's $10 million. Yeah. And, um, uh, and then we'd have to basically build up and over and we wanted to finance the majority of the renovation, if we could, all of it. But for us to finance the renovation, we would need new revenue streams because we're not in this for profit. We don't have a bunch of profit. We don't have rich owners. So so we had to create all the new player development spaces and then the new revenue sources, premium seats, club areas, suites, whatever it is, to be able to pay for that renovation. Mm. 
So that scaled the renovation up pretty significantly. And the pricing was coming in at like 150 million, 160 million. And then, so we took a step back and like, this is a lot of money to spend on renovating a building, especially a building that is tied to the football stadium. So it renders that obsolete for the city Hmm. and it's oriented improperly. So you get sun exposure, the whole third base line. So it's like, we can't spend 150 million on a building and then have the third base side still blasted by sun every game. So yeah. we, we went to the city and we're like, this isn't going to work. We can't do it. Um, we came up with an idea of there's a couple of softball fields next to us. What if we relocate those softball fields, free up that land and build a brand new ballpark there? I think we can do it for less than 150 million, which is a renovation. And we'll have a 10 times better product for the long run. So fortunately, the city felt like that was a good idea, a good use. Um, and so we started that design and, and then started working on that funding plan. Uh, the city stepped up with 18 million that comes from lodging tax. And then, and then we, through the revenue profile of the design, we found we could, we could do about 80 million in financing and, and basically bond financing that would be paid back through ballpark revenues. And so we got to, you know, hundred million, we're thinking we can build a ballpark for hundred million. So then we got to 10% design of that. It's like, nope, you're going to need about 120, 130 million. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so the, the rise of construction costs over the last few years really, really hurt yeah. us. But so that's when we went to the legislature last year and asked for 25 million, hoping that we get 20 or 25 million and that would fill the funding gap. Uh, didn't get it. Uh, we, we thought we had a good chance. And then, and then June, we found out we, we didn't get any. And so that's when we had to take a step back. Uh, we went to the county and said, hey, you know, is there any way you could use part of the countywide lodging tax to help us bring this gap down? Um, so we requested $10 million from the county. And it was about a four or five month process uh, with the county. But we finally got confirmation a couple of weeks ago. They voted unanimously to support mm -hmm. um, some lodging tax out of the county. So there's $8 million there. And then we have a request into the state for 15 million that would finish the, the funding plan. We have a deadline to March 15th. So, um, it is a, it is a very nurse nervous time around yeah. our office, but we have a extremely good lobbyist that, that is working in Salem for us. We've been down to Salem numerous times. We have a key, um, legislator, Janine Solomon, Senator Solomon out of Hillsborough that's, that's fighting for this, um, along with Ben Bowman out of Tiger, Representative Bowman. He's really fighting for this. Um, so those are our probably two strongest allies, but we're getting, we're getting more and more support every day. I mean, Good. we had the construction, sub, construction subcommittee hearing on Friday and the amount of testimony that was submitting was overwhelming. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I haven't counted, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was 80 letters that, mm. that were sent in uh, in support. And our lobbyist has never seen anything like that, that, that level of support with like two opposition letters. Um, right. So we, we have very little opposition to this, which is very encouraging. We expected there would be a significant amount of opposition when it comes to sports stadiums. But I think the way that we've done this with only using lodging taxes, not using general fund, and even on the state level, like we're not necessarily asking for general fund dollars that's going to fund affordable housing and schools and everything else. We're asking for lottery bonds that's that's only okay. used to fund economic development. So it's a very targeted uh, a funding stream that they're not going to use on, you know, the fentanyl crisis or right. schools or something like that. So 
we, we've gone about this, I think, a smart way. And, and we also started with what is the maximum amount of private money we can put in and then backfill it with public money, where a lot of sports mm-hmm. stadiums, it's the opposite formula. It's how much public money can we get? And then maybe we'll fill it with private money at the end. So um, I think people have appro- appreciated our approach. And then um, the, the biggest thing is what this, like it's, it's saved the hops. You know, that's, that's the headline, obviously. Um, but I think what we undersell is what this venue will do for our community. Um, yeah, hops baseball will live on and that's great. But the other things we can now do with this venue, the concerts it's going to attract, right. community festivals we could put on, you know, the food and wine festival, the Latino cultural festival, the craft beer festival, like all these other community gathering events, um, a winter carnival where we've got ice skating and Christmas lights and holiday bazaar and like yeah. food and beverage themed, uh, holiday food and beverage thing, like all these other events we can do with a venue that's designed for that is so exciting Um, because now it turns us into a from a baseball team to an entertainment company i mean it sounds like you've gone through so thoughtful about it all the iterations you know i mean here march 15th not too long not too far away here but it looks like the momentum's all really positive and i'm sure you've done these studies i don't just the economic impact of the team and especially, you know, I live in Tiger, so it's, it's great to hear that, you know, our, our representatives are, you know, behind this too. And um, when you look at the growth of the metro area, it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. With South Hill, Hillsboro and where I live and River Terrace, it just makes sense to, to do this. So I'm, uh, uh, fingers crossed, it's it's all going to work out. Yeah, I mean, 70% of our attendance comes from outside Hillsboro. So we have Hillsborough in our name. Everyone says, oh, yeah. Hillsborough hops. But but the reality is the majority of our fan base is not from Hillsborough. 70%. Oh, wow. 70%. Yeah. Wow. So okay. I, I think that's a that's been a very powerful message. The economic message has been very powerful with the state too. I mean, the state income tax alone would be a six and a half year payback on 15 million and we'll have a 40 year lease. So <laughs> this is a this is actually a revenue maker for the state. The state will make more money over 40 years, way more money um, over 40 years than they're going to put in. It's 6.9 million in income tax just from the construction. So, and then 1.5 million annually from the operation of the facility. That's mm-hmm. not the corporate activity tax. That's not property taxes. That's not every other tax that this facility is going to generate, just state income tax. So they're going to get half of their money back in year one. Wow. Um, you know, find other projects like that that can that can develop that kind of payback for the state. They don't exist, so it, it's a very strong message to the state. But 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 the flip side of that, and, and this is what's gotten a lot of people's attention, is what if this team moves to or, uh, to Washington or to Boise, Idaho? Like mm-hmm. now, you lose all of that state income tax. So all these other things you need to fund, or you're trying to fund, you're going to have less money to do it if if this team is forced to leave. So. Um, it's a pretty compelling message. I mean, it's a it's a quality life message that that we went on. It's an e- economic message and a tax message that we went on. So, um, you, you know, our goal has been to make this decision very easy. Um, mm-hmm. I think most people realize that it is a pretty easy decision. What it comes down to is our legislators worried about the perception of funding a sports stadium, a city-owned sports stadium, and mm-hmm. and that's really the only hangup. Because some people are, some people are like, you know what? I don't want to have state money go to a sports stadium. 
Okay. There's nothing we can do about that, but the money is going to the city. It's not going to the hops. Um, you're not subsidizing some rich billionaire. Uh, we Mm -hmm. don't have rich billionaires. So, um, you know, a lot of those kind of national messages around sports stadium funding people are using, but they don't really apply to this situation. Mm -hmm. So, um, so a lot of it is just kind of having those one-on-one conversations with people so they understand the, the reality of what's going on here versus some national headline that, that they're going to try to apply here. So right. um, we're encouraged. We're, we're very optimistic. And what's great is we're at the finish line. Like, this is it. I mean, we've, we've put together 110 million of 125 million need. And, wow. and the state gets to decide whether this happens or not. So uh, we're putting a lot of pressure on them. Um, but there's a lot of pressure on us to to get this get this over the goal line. Well, I like you said, it's very compelling and hopefully it just it happens. So when are you expecting that uh kind of communication from the state or I know they're in the short session right now, right? So short session ends March tenth. Okay. So all right. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. That's right. Uh well looking at this season, opening day is what what's the date for opening April fifth. Friday, April, April 5th. 5th. Yep. Three day, three day weekend to start the season. Nice. Uh, well, Kyle, I just really appreciate you joining the show, um, sharing about your journey and the hops and, um, you know, what it does for the community. So thanks so much. Yeah, truly my pleasure, Dan. Really, really appreciate you, you having me on. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.